0: First of all, Bridge Church, I just want to thank you for having me. Your your area is lovely. Got a chance to dip my toes in the sand and water yesterday. Praise God. Um, I looked and enjoyed the waves. Then I went to dinner with Pastor Chris, and I got to continue to enjoy the waves. Okay, so the first service, we had less of you. So I'm glad to know that some people, now some people are like, I don't get it. In his head, his hair goes like this. We call those waves. I used to have them, you know, once, once, once before. <clears throat> but I just want to say, I just want to thank you for having me. My family couldn't be here. Uh, long story, but uh, I bring you greetings from their whole branch family. Uh, I'm going to ask for the Lord's help and then dive in. Heavenly Father, we bless your name. Uh, We come before you in the name of the Lord Jesus. Uh, We're asking for aid in doing what only you can do. Lord, as we've often said, make us what we're not and give us what we don't have and teach us what we don't know. Um, So use this time for the glory of Christ and the good of your people. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 a hypothetical question has been posed. If you were on trial, having been accused of being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? The same thing could be said for a true Christian church. If the church was on trial, having been accused of being a biblical New Testament church, The question on the floor is Would there be enough evidence to convict you? In the words of the shrewd, famous or infamous, depending on your perspective, defense attorney Johnny Cochran, if the label doesn't fit, we must acquit. Today's text, Acts 4 1 to 12, is about an arrest, a trial, And the evidencing, the testimony of the Apostle Peter and John. And inside that testimony, we actually get the reality of what makes a Christian a Christian and the Christian church the Christian church. What we're gonna see in this text is that the true Christian and the true Christian church is marked by their committed faithfulness to a life. And with their lips, worship and their witness to the only Lord and the only Savior, Jesus Christ. A true Christian in the true curse, excuse me, the true Christian church is marked by faithfulness through life and lips, worship and witness to the only Lord and the only Savior, Jesus Christ. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to work through the text. Meet me in your copy of God's word. Acts chapter four. We're going to look at one to 12. Acts chapter 4, starting with verse 1, and we'll stop at verse 4 and just start working our way. 1 to 4. And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. Let's paint the picture. As they were speaking to the people, chapter 4 continues what we started in chapter 3. In chapter 3, Peter and John... Pillar apostles are on their way to the temple, and it says about the ninth hour, which is about 3 p.m. On their way, as you know, they see a person who's never walked before, a lame man. They heal them. Praise breaks out. Uh, the hour of prayer is disrupted, and everyone is marveling. Well, now it says in this verse in chapter four, that they get arrested because it's already evening, meaning nothing could really, official business couldn't take place. So it's around six, maybe six, somewhere between six and eight. In other words, from 3 p.m. to at least 6 p.m. for three hours, they are speaking. They're speaking about the subject that the true Christian loves to go on and on about. They're speaking about Jesus, the one who was crucified, the one who resurrected, the one who through the crucifixion and the resurrection proves that he is the king this is what they're doing y'all know that real christians like to talk about jesus and we like to go on and on the culture likes to keep it short the culture likes little snippets the culture likes little cliches but real christians the true christian church likes to make much of jesus and go on and on and that's what's happening They're extensively talking to the crowd and they're building momentum so much so that the religious leaders are wondering, is this going to cause disruption socially? Is this going to cause defections religiously? And so they come in. And they do exactly what you can bank on if you're doing gospel proclamation. (laughs) They begin to get annoyed and they arrest them. In other words, gospel proclamation eventually leads to persecution. True gospel proclamation always seems to lead to real persecution. Let this be known. It's unavoidable. It's inescapable. It's unalterable incontrovertible if you are faithfully committed to proclaiming jesus as lord persecution will result this is regardless of how cleverly and relevantly and skillfully you maneuver (laughs) despite how strategic you are how loving and considerate you can be how dope your gifts are (laughs) what technological advances you employ (laughs) Who you get to feature on your gospel album, <laughs> what athlete you bring in to speak at your assembly or your church. If you're committed to faithful Jesus in it, cross in gospel proclamation, you eventually will face persecution. Jesus is the one who said this, and he said it on the night in which he was betrayed. So after three years of being with the disciples, he could say on that last day, he could say, remember the word that I said to you. We've been over this. I say this on a regular. Remember the word that I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. This is exactly what we see in this text, the persecution of peter and john as they proclaim the gospel so church please expect it expect that when you're faithful things will look like they're going south even though god is with you he's for you you know up until now the church has been clicking on all cylinders the church has been experiencing nothing but success. An outbreak of faith on Pentecost, 3,000 get saved. Outpraise, an outbreak of praise. The text says that they were speaking in tongues and people from all over said, man, we hear them declaring the mighty works of God in our own tongue an outpouring of generosity. The Bible says, and then the believers started sharing what they had. You got a car, you get a car. No, just kidding. You have a need met. You have a need met. You have a need met. The Bible says to the point where there was no one who had a need. And then the outworking of the Spirit's power, the outshining of the power of the Spirit. It says that miracles were being done by the apostles to the point where now the man who had never walked before the gate beautiful is now walking. And so that's what the church has been experiencing. And the text says that now 5,000 men now make up this church that started with 120 in the upper room. In other words, success. And now, what can you expect? If you have success, you can expect that you're gonna see Satan. You can expect, and that's what you see the Sadducees. The text goes on. The Sadducees, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead, they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. These apostles were making an impact, it was affecting the society. What they were doing was affecting people's theology. They showed you that they had sway, even though we're going to find out that they were uneducated men, meaning they were not officially trained according to the right schools. And the Sadducees show up. That's what the text says. All these people are part of what's called the Sadducees. This was a religious and a political group. The Sadducees were actually the people that in the Gospels, you don't see them till the last week of Jesus's life because they're there to make sure that Rome handles their political business for the sake of the Sadducees. They were the the wealthy ruling class in Israel. And so here they are. They show up in acts they're all over the place and the gospels they only show up in the last week in acts they're all over the place in verse five, chapter five you're going to see them pop up again Theologically they only accepted the Pentateuch and they rejected the rest of scripture. They rejected the oral traditions So the Pharisees didn't like them because the Pharisees were all about the traditions in addition to the law And so theologically the the, the Sadducees rejected angels they rejected demons they rejected the afterlife the Sadducees theologically were off the mark but This made them about the here and now, hence the Sadducees as a political group. Primarily, they were a political group. They were the ones who, they were the aristocrats, the wealthy ruling class. They didn't like Messiah talk. They believed that Messiah had actually showed up in the Maccabean period, which is a period back in B.C. When you see people coming up and Judas Maccabeus delivers Israel, delivers them from a, a Syrian Emperor they were so they were looking. They said we already had a Messiah. We don't need another Messiah This is all there is so we need to be on top here so they saw Peter and John in the words of John Scott as both agitators and Heretics and so the text says they lock them up And yet Luke wants you to know because acts is all about the unstoppable gospel regardless of what happens to people the question on the floor is what happens to the gospel because he says, you're going to be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. Okay, so what's going to happen? It says here, and they arrested them. But many who heard the word believed, and the number of men came to about 5,000. In other words, though the gospel was unchained, even though the apostles for a night was detained. This is what the Bible means when it says that my chains have caused the, 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 the brothers to be more bold with the gospel. Paul told Timothy, he said, don't be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or me, his prisoner. Just take faithful men and who will train up faithful men. In other words, the gospel goes on regardless of what happens to you, regardless of what happens to me. The question is, what happens to the proliferation of the good news in the name of Jesus Christ? Well, note something about the church because we're talking about the church that really proves itself to be the church. Note the dynamics of the church's foundational, gospel-centered, Christ-centered cultural engagement, since we like cultural engagement. In one sense, they're in step with broader culture. They're going to the temple like people who are into the temple go to the temple. They're going at the time that people go. They're going to pray just like the people are going to pray. They have solidarity with the crowd. And yet... (laughs) They don't have an adversarial spirit toward people just because they know that they're thinking like Christ. But the Jews have not come to understand Christ as the fulfillment yet. Their tone and their posture is like is, is, is toward their surroundings, one of boldness and yet humility. They're bold because they stand flat footed and declare Jesus and tell people you crucified him. But they're humble because they say brothers, they talk, they, they, they throw the lifeline out to them. They have solidarity and yet distinction. I'm here with you, men of Israel. It's us. This is what God said to us. And yet they have a distinction as they distinguish themselves by their mission. We have an agenda, and that is to proclaim Jesus. Well, this is what we need. We need churches that are not mean towards society, even when we disagree, but that are postured towards society to be a witness Of who Jesus is and we're going to see who Jesus is and how he responds to our surroundings. So if you are faithfully preaching the gospel, just expect that there eventually will be some sort of persecution. I like with John Wesley, if you're familiar with John Wesley, John Wesley, it's been said that he one day believed like, man, I haven't been persecuted in a while. So he he looked up and he prayed and he said, God, have I backslided or something? Because I have not been persecuted in a while. Please reveal it to me. Got off his horse and as he stooped down, a brick flew by and missed his head. And as he saw the brick go by, he said, thank you, Lord. Now I know that you're still with me. For John Wesley, it wasn't like, why why am I being persecuted? It was, why am I not? And that is because gospel proclamation leads to eventual persecution. And we know this, don't we? Which is why we turn down. We start off on fire. Oh, that didn't go too well. And then we turn down. Sometimes we need to pull back because we're obnoxious, like Paul, who was argumentative, and they had to bring him out. But Paul learned how to always be able to proclaim the gospel and be ready... In and out of season, which he would tell us that we should be in and out of season, but at the same time, just expect that eventually what happened to the Lord Jesus, what happened to the apostles or some variation will happen to you and to I, but persist. The text goes on on the next day, verse five, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas, the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and all who were of the high priestly family. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired by what power or by what name did you do this? In other words, we're now uh, seeing a trial. This is now the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin was primarily Sadducees, but it also included the high priest and some from from the priestly family, as well as a few Pharisees. The Pharisees and the Sadducees hated each other, but they were all rallied at this point. The Sanhedrin was 70 members headed by the the, the high priest. In other words, this is a play on the fact that Israel has always often been led by 70 elders. So the Sanhedrin presents themselves like they're a spiritual body, but of course, we know that they reject spiritual truth, and so by and large, they're really a political body disguised as a spiritual body. Now, somebody is like, mm, because that speaks today, doesn't it? (laughs) People who have all the spiritual labels attached to them, but when you look at their maneuvers, it seems more political than it does spiritual. Ouch, preacher. It says here that there's, there's, there's Annas called the high priest. Well, if you know this history, Annas is not the high priest. He was deposed several years before. Actually, the high priest is Caiaphas, who's the stepson of Annas. But Caius, uh, Annas is called the high priest because A, he's still the one pulling the strings, even though he's no longer in office. Anyway. Not only that it's all in the family in other words it's his stepson and all from the high priestly family in other words this this is a tribe thing this is a family thing and that's what you see and i'm not being funny but what you see is that things the more what what is it the more things change the more things stay the same In other words, people who have the power and even the religious cover often really are actually doing things to benefit them and their kind, even to the point of discounting what God may be doing in their midst. And so this is the highest ruling body. They bring them in and they want to know what are you doing and who gave you the right to do it? What power and what name? They sit them and they say, give an answer. I mean, I saw something about a miracle out there. I saw people getting all excited. You got Rome looking at us about to mess up the (laughs) peace. And instead of rejoicing, they're interrogating. You know why? Because though the Pharisees and the Sadducees don't like each other, and though one high priest is deposed and another high priest is there, and when everybody gets together, they're unified, at least in this, the rejection of Jesus. You know, the culture is unified. If in nothing else, we're divided all over the place. Religions divided all over the place. If there's one place that the world is unified, it's in their rejection of Messiah, the king. Jesus as Lord. As a rapper back in the days, I used to concur with this because when I was just a cursing secular rapper, everyone cheered me and liked me. Soon as I tried to proclaim Christ, they booed me or tuned out. And even Christians would tell me, well, what do you expect? That's not relevant. Kanye, before he got converted, he had a song in Jesus Walks. He says, they say I can rap about anything except for Jesus. <laughs> he was acknowledging that to rap about Jesus uh, is not allowed on secular hip-hop radio stations. But then somebody says, but Jesus walks. Right. He was talking about the wrong Jesus, first of all. Secondly, a Jesus who walked behind him while he did his thing. But fast forward many years later, he put out an album called Jesus is King, and you saw less of Kanye and more of him. And Kanye, again, I don't know the validity, but I'm just saying, you hear the difference just in the albums. Jesus walks behind me. Jesus is King. I'm behind him. What I'm here to say is we've seen this before. I used to listen to a group called Public Enemy, and Chuck D was the one that told me, Farrakhan's a prophet that I think you ought to listen to. I was like, maybe I should check out Farrakhan. I'll, a guy by the name of Rakim said, all praise be to Allah, and that's a blessing. And you know it's actually, sidebar, this is for free, that's actually where I got my concept for Christian hip-hop. I, never had, I had never heard of Christian hip-hop before. It was when I saw them rep their God, and I felt like their God was not true. When the Lord claimed my heart, I said, let me use rap to rep my God. <laughs> and then I said, well, let me turn people on to my, the preachers that I think they ought to listen to. You ought to listen to Tony Evans at the time. I was really into Tony Evans. I still am. I'm just saying at that time, I was really into Tony Evans. And I was like, hey, you ought to listen to Piper. And, and, and so many people ran into Pipers and Tony Evans's and Sprouls and uh, take your picks. Stanley Uh, we used to turn people on to Stanley I I mean we were so into turning people on to the, the the God who represented us you know why because we felt like We wanted the world to encounter someone who's going to proclaim his excellencies The world is unified in the rejection of Jesus and so the antidote is the church being unified around its worship of Jesus Our division should pale compared to our determination to show the world but we're in agreement on this Jesus is Lord (laughs) Jesus is Lord and this is what Peter does he turns the tables at the trial to start revealing what Christians emphasize above all else verse 8 then Peter filled with the Holy Spirit said to them in Acts To be filled with the Holy Spirit is a way of saying Peter with enough muscle to get the job done. Jesus said that. He said, I know you've been with me three years plus. I know that you've seen me resurrected. I know you put your hands in the nail prints, but wait for the power source. (laughs) You can have all the experiences. You can know all the right words, but you have to wait for the power. (laughs) Wait for the promise of the Holy Spirit. And that's what we need. You cannot continue gospel proclamation in the face of persecution without the power to do so. The Holy Spirit." And you know, there's some some runners this Olympics that have been uh, that have been disqualified or banned from uh, from competing. There's some women from uh, Namibia and South Africa because they naturally have. Too much testosterone not from taking it. They're not they have a disorder that naturally produces it and they said no Testosterone that gives you an edge a power that the others don't have so they did not allow them to run that's because the power makes a difference. <laughs> and that's what Acts says. That Acts says Peter is working with some power that the average person is not working with. And that the church has access to a power that the average person in society is not working with. And it's the power to stand up and say rulers, this is a peon, rulers of the people and elders. If we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, By what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, he never lets them forget that. He's looking at the leaders who were determined to have Jesus crucified, but he also won't let them forget that it didn't work because whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, (laughs) by him, this man is standing before you well. In other words, Peter bears witness to the true nature of our God as the centerpiece of the true nature of his gospel. What does he say? Rulers, I don't care who you are because we're all level at the cross. Elders, I know you're my elder, but let me just say, (laughs) he says, we're here. Why? We've been in prison at night for a night. Why? Because we did good. He calls this a good act. A good deed. And he said, And this man is standing before you as well. In other words, what Peter is saying is faithful witness equals not only good news, but it's good news, but also good deeds. <laughs> or another way, the church's faithful witness is comprised of the announcement of the good news and the enactment of our good God. <laughs> we're in jail because we're like Jesus. What do you mean? We did good, just like our Lord Jesus does good. Doing good was Jesus' MO. It didn't matter what was on the docket. When he ran into an opportunity to do good, he did good. He did good to all. This is why Peter... And chapter 10 is going to tell Cornelius' family. Cornelius said, hey, the Lord told me you have something to tell me. He said, oh, must be the gospel. Let me tell you the gospel. And he started talking about man's need. And eventually he got to a place where he says, now God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil for God was with him. This should be the church's reputation. Not just our proclamation of good news, but our enactment of our good God Peter and him said we were on our way to the temple to talk to our good God But we saw a man who was in need of us to be like our good God Oh, you're quiet 11. It's all good Good news good deeds in the name of a good God. That's what faithful witness is And the two are not separated And so he says here we're here because we did good the good this happened to this man is undeniable, and he didn't earn it. <laughs> he was asking for money. He didn't even ask for it. It's not like, okay, when you ask me, I'll tell you about Jesus. When you ask me, when you act right, I'll tell you about Jesus. When I'm not frustrated with you, I'll tell you about Jesus. No. And just like it says, Jesus healed all who were oppressed by the devil. In other words, as he had opportunity, he did good to all. Well. Wow. He says, this man has been healed and by him, this man is standing before you as well. This word healed or healing in the Greek word is a word called sozo, sozo. And the same word that's translated healed often in other places is translated and more often than not translated as saved. So later on, when it says there's no other name whereby we must be saved, it's the same word, sozo. So in other words, what he's saying is the God who heals, so-so, saves, is the God who not only saves and heals your physical issues, but he's the one that handles your eternal issues. Oh, The Lord Jesus says I come on the scene and I say to you your sins are forgiven eternal issues And people say well who can forgive sins? But so, you know, I have the power to do that take up your bed and walk (laughs) I do both the Lord Jesus says I'm the one who does both I'm telling you some of you you want bread that perishes, but I'm the bread that came from heaven (laughs) You can eat me and have eternal life (laughs) Some of you come to the well because you're thirsty today and got to come back tomorrow (laughs) But if you drink of me Ah, you'll never thirst again. You see, the Lord Jesus comes on the scene and says, I'm telling you, I heal so and I save so And Peter says, so let me proclaim him to you. New Testament scholar D.A. Carson is right to caution us. He says, the entire created order is under God's curse because of human sin. Sin is not first and foremost horizontal, social, though, of course, it is all of that. It is vertical. The defiance of almighty God. The sin which most consistently is said to bring down God's wrath on the heads of his people or entire nations is idolatry. The de-godding of God. It is overcoming this fundamental sin that the cross and resurrection of Jesus achieves. In other words, we know that one takes priority. But in the scriptures, they seem to never be divorced. Just like somebody asked Jesus, what's the top commandment? Didn't ask him what the top two are. (laughs) Asked him what the greatest commandment is. And he took it upon him, say, and the second is like it. God, (laughs) love God, love neighbor. They go together. The church's faithful witness says we not only have a good gospel, we have a good God. And we not only proclaim to you the good gospel, we walk out and live the good deeds. Now, who would oppose this good? He looks and says, I'll tell you who would oppose it based on a psalm. Psalm 118 verse 11 of chapter four says, this Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone when you built in those days you look for the foundational stone the best stone you could find the most smooth the most even the, the prettiest stone and that stone would set the temple for all the other stones. And so you would build the whole building based on the cornerstone. He quotes this from a Psalm of David where he says the, the stone that the builders rejected Is The cornerstone no one will reject the best stone for an inferior stone if they're going to build a building that would last What he's saying to the Sanhedrin is I see you building your lives building your ministries building your business building your families building your careers he says but You're rejecting the cornerstone, the one on whom all of those things should be rightly aligned with. He's building his church and we are living stones. In other words, we are placed inside the context of him so that we define ourselves and we judge ourselves. What we say, what we do, who we love, who we embrace, where we go, when we come. We align it and we define it by him. He is the cornerstone. Build your lives on him. The Lord Jesus says, I'm the rock. Build on my word. So that's why what we see. Faithful proclamation results in persecution. But a faithful witness not only proclaims that truth, lives that truth. And the reason why, no matter how faithful you are, you may run into opposition is because people are building other buildings. (laughs) And your faithful proclamation is clashing with it. Our and even us, we love God when he blesses our thing. (laughs) We tend to leave God when we hear him calling us to his thing. What is God calling you to? Who is God calling you to? He's the cornerstone, the chief cornerstone. Peter goes on and basically explains this cornerstone as the the essential stone by saying, verse 12, and there is salvation, sozo, (laughs) there it is again, and there is salvation and no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Let me say it like this. Salvation is sourced exclusively, offered universally, but must be applied personally. Oh, the source is exclusive. The Lord Jesus says, I am the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. Elsewhere, he said, enter through the narrow gate. I know it's narrow. He says, the broad road, the road with all the options. (laughs) He says, I know you want to go there, but it leads to destruction. He says, but the narrow road leads to eternal life. That's me. In a pluralistic society and in a global world that does and should be marked by diversity, we think that on this point, there should be a plural, there should be plural options and a diverse amount of options. And he says, what, 4,000 recognized religions, three fourths of those all sort of galvanize around at least five major religions. And Jesus has the gall to say, and the apostles have the nerve to assert. There's only one name under heaven given to men whereby we must be saved. And I proclaim it to you today because the text does. Hear Yahweh, Isaiah 43:11. I, I am the Lord and besides me, there is no savior. Hosea 13:4 but I am the Lord your God from the land of Egypt. You know no god but me, and besides me there is no savior. So what Peter does, like any Christian hermeneutic would, interpret the Old Testament in light of Christ in the New. If Yahweh says he's the only savior, and Jesus came and presented himself as the only savior. Jesus and Yahweh are one and the same. Mm. Okay, I'm almost finished. I see the clock. <laughs> Peter proclaims Jesus to be Yahweh incarnate. And gang, there is a drift today, especially among African-American communities, away from Christianity to Hebrew Israelism. One, because they think Christianity puts them in the vicinity of white majority and they're tired of that. So they figured they could just scoot on over to Hebrew because that's people of color. And so they think I'm not going to say Jesus. I'm going to always say Yah in Yahweh. But. The apostles had no problem pointing people to Jesus and the Holy Spirit gave us the New Testament inspired in Koine Greek so actually you're actually amening the spirit when you call him a transliteration of Jesus which is the Greek version of Yeshua you're like he getting carried away I'm sorry (laughs) there's really only two religions they say the religion of human achievement what you do for God What you do to get to God. What you do that you want God to take notice of. And the other religion is the religion of divine accomplishment. What God does for you. What God did. And he offers himself. That's why the Lord Jesus said, I came down. God came to you. You can't go up to him. Man has... Is in need of the religion of divine accomplishment what God does and he says Jesus is that one and I'm about to close but Luke 24 to 47 the Lord Jesus his parting words to his disciples is this he says to them these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you that everything written about me in the law of Moses first five books the prophets and the Psalms that's the whole Old Testament he says must be fulfilled Jesus says, if you were to look at your whole Old Testament, it was preparing you for this moment. How do you know? Because it's written that Christ should suffer on the third day, rise from the dead. That's the thing he keeps drilling, that Jesus died according to the foreordained plan of God. <laughs> and then he says this, and that repentance and forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed. So we were on our way to prayer. And then we saw an opportunity to proclaim we were on our way to Whole Foods and we saw an opportunity to proclaim I was going to the beach and I got sidetracked by an opportunity to proclaim what that repentance Oh, we gotta sometimes go there and forgiveness of sins is What proclaimed in his name to all nations? Beginning with Jerusalem. We're still in Jerusalem right now but acts is going shimmy its way all the way to the ends of the earth And that's what it's all about. He says, if you just go through the Old Testament, you'd see that it's been preparing you for me. Oh, there was a king who said, Let there be light. I was there, the Lord Jesus says, and there was. We established the kingdom. And we put little under kings and queens up in there, Adam and Eve. Oh, you know about Genesis three, where sin came, rebellion to the kingdom. He says, So you're not you're not you're not surprised when you see rebellion. You've seen it all the way since Genesis three. And the Bible says in Genesis three fifteen that he said, But don't worry, I'm gonna send someone who's gonna come. He'll get bruised. Christ suffered and died but he'll crush his head. But God raised him from the dead and that destroys the works of the devil. You know what the Bible says, that God is true, that the moment rebellion came in, it would just lead to rebellion after rebellion after rebellion from Cain to Abel to Genesis 6 with the whole world just doing continually evil. And so God has to judge. I tell you, you need repentance and forgiveness of sin because you see what God does when there is no repentance and no forgiveness of sins. The Old Testament prepared us for it. You got to be approached by God. He says I came to a man named Abram and Abram is singular, didn't have any kids, couldn't have any kids. He's exalted father. That's what Abram means. He said and then I got to him and promised him a land, a seed and a blessing. And the Abram would turn into Abraham, father Abraham who has many sons. Oh, you know how it is. I'll scoot you to Exodus where I show you how I take a small people and I blow the roof off and make them a big people. Just like we started with 120 and now now we're at 5,000 and still counting, like those burgers at McDonald's. <clears throat> uh, I'm telling you now, he says, and so Exodus had to move you all the way to the Passover where he showed you the blueprint for how sinners are forgiven. How? Because a lamb that's spotless takes on the sin, and the sins of the people are removed from them so that they can go free, and the lamb would be killed, and the blood would be put up, and it would make the judgment that should come Passover. That's where we get Passover from. He says, I could tell you about Joshua I lead people to a land flowing with milk and honey which is just a little small way to say back to Eden and beyond to flourishing to shalom to all the good and none of the bad Oh, but you know they messed up don't you so we get to the judges you know you need a king because when you do what's right in your own eyes it proves that you need me to come in and show you how to see and how to walk and how to talk but you don't need Saul you know Saul you don't even need David you need something better. Even he started tripping. You don't need Solomon. He caused division. You don't need Rehoboam. He was wilding anyway. And so, you can keep going on and on to exile. God knows how to give you some quick chin checks just to let you know, if you walk with him and you start getting lost, that he was faithful to bring you back from your lostness. Is there anybody here that's kind of wandered? Anybody in the camera? Maybe you're off. You were with this Jesus. You used to proclaim his name. Little persecution or Building your own thing got you off track. And God says, that's all right. I brought those I scattered back to the land because I'm faithful. Not only am I faithful to save, I'm faithful to keep. And then the Bible makes clear that we get to the New Testament where the Lord Jesus comes on the scene and says, now you're ready. Now you're ready to hear about a lamb who was the Passover lamb. Now you're ready to see a king who's better than David. Now you're ready to see the wisdom of a man who's better than Solomon. Now you're ready for me. And then I die. I got bruised, but I crushed the serpent's head. And now proclaim me to the nations. And that's what you're doing, Bridge Church. Oh, oh amen. Amen. That's what you're doing. <laughs> expect, expect persecution. But be faithful, life and lips, witness and worship. And declare to them that exclusively it's about Jesus. Universally proclaim Jesus. And today don't leave here without personally bowing the knee to Jesus.